Welcome to Weekly Review with Roman. Yay! Today it's Friday. It's June 28th, 2019. Thank you so much for tuning in. Perhaps it's your first time listening. Perhaps you've listened before. Either way, thanks so much. Mutant Radio is back up and running again. Our stream was down for a couple of weeks. A week? A little over a week. It was a while. So big thank you to Naomi and Richard and Pam and all the folks who got it up and running again. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. Glad to be back and here again. Also, folks are interested in listening to the last episode we did on June 14th. That is up now. You can find that at mutinyradio.fm under the podcast archive under the weekly review. And it should be the last one that's uh, listed. So great conversation there. So please do check that out. Uh, yes. Going to take a deep breath. And we'll get to some news in a little bit. There's plenty to rant about, as always. Also, some good news. And so, wanting to, I want to share that as well, as as well as other actions that folks can take. And yeah, again, wanted to to re repromote. I don't know if that's a word. I could be. I could also just expand my vocabulary. That might be more helpful. But the last episode from June 14th with uh, Nava Mao and Nana Dufour. Really want to recommend that for folks to listen to again. The June 14th episode. There we go, plugging the old episode. Also, if you'd like to donate to Mutiny Radio, we could sure use the help. That would be great. We're kept open by our dues and by folks donating and people renting the space. So if you go to mutinyradio.fm, there's a donate button, and you can donate right there. So so give that a try if you are able to. Thanks so much. 
Oh, wow. Uh, I was meditating this morning, which was, it's almost always very helpful and thinking about things I wanted to say on the, the air today and being off for a week. Uh, there's, I guess, even more, or it kind of builds up a little bit. And then it's also nonstop if one pays attention to what's happening in the world and there's a lot to be angry about and upset about and also ways to fight back. The SF Chronicle, not my favorite publication by any means, had a, an article up this morning, which thankfully they have taken off their, their Facebook page, which was, it was an op-ed by one of the co-founders of ICE. So you can only imagine what kind of bullshit that was. And many people, uh, myself included, commented on it, how many, lots of different ways to comment on how problematic it was that they were, they would even give room to uh, a co-founder of a fascist organization that's causing harm. If anything, the energy and resources and time needs to be fighting against them to disband them instead of letting them preach their hateful rhetoric, which is also full of lies and fear-mongering and nonsense. So I suppose one positive thing is that a lot of folks did speak up or typed, however, I guess it's officially typed, and raised concerns over this. And they, last I checked, had taken it down. So again, it's still in their newspaper and also... If people show up, change is made, and that's kind of direct direct action seems to be the best mode of changing things I've noticed, and so I want to encourage folks if you're able. Also, I'll go over on the show many other ways that folks can show up. There's lots of ways. So even if people can't show up in person, you can have conversations with people. You can inform yourself, inform others. If you have the money, you can also donate to certain organizations. Um, if you, you can also, one can also call elected representatives and apply pressure on them. They're supposed to represent us. And imagine if we lived in a world where they actually did, that would be great. That'd be incredible. And also, uh, perhaps that'll, I didn't want to rant and it's kind of still percolating a little bit. However, that did, does take me to one article I did want to read, which is a positive news story. And I, I, my intention is to have at least a few positive news stories. And again, the positive news stories on this show are things are really problematic and fucked up, and there are people who are doing things to to change that and to make things better and or to undo some harm that already has been done. And I consider that to be positive and being grateful for the positive things that are happening and all the folks who work really hard and tirelessly to make a better world for all of us. So we'll be getting into that as well. I have a lot of tabs open. This is, this is how I do. Sometimes I prepare for the show a little bit more than others. I had a not great day yesterday, and perhaps when I listen to this in the future, I'll remember it be like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty difficult day. And so I didn't necessarily have the emotional reserves to prepare for today as much as I would like. I, I say that very often, but I usually at least make a list of things I want to go through. So right now it's a, very, it's a mental list. I've got some tabs open. There's some interviews and some speeches, some audio speeches I'm going to play a little bit later on the show. I don't have a guest book for today. Another another uh, thing I wanted to do and then also just could not uh, manage. Also, the trans marches today. So folks come out to Dolores Park. Uh, folks are gathering there starting, I think, around 11 or so. And then the march is going to be later in the afternoon. There's going to be performances starting around 3. And initially I was thinking, oh, if it because I'm used to doing this, I do the show and then go to Dolores Park afterwards and have a lovely time and see great people. And I was thinking, oh, if it was this, the performances were happening at the same time as the show, then I could 
maybe have someone call in and we could broadcast the performances so folks who might not be able to go in person could hear it. And alas, that's the timing's not going to work out. Uh, however, uh, do want to have some people's voices on the show today or not in the studio. So we'll be sharing that later on in the program, playing music throughout. <sighs> so we'll do that. Start off the show. Uh, there's a public radio station I listen to out of Minneapolis called The Current. And uh, every now and then I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a good song. I'll, I'll play that. So nothing special. I do like to also play music from local artists. And in the last few weeks I've been playing music from trans artists. So I also do want to continue that. And also being aware of my time and energy, just sometimes picking a song that's right there at the ready. So, yes, lots to do. And, oh, the song has already started playing in the background. Great. You can't hear it, though. Um, okay. So I should also tell you what those previous songs were in case you're interested. The last one was by Silver Sun Pickups. And the song was called, when I open the tab, I'll tell you the title. It'd be, I have a lot of tabs open, so this might take a moment. We'll get to that at some point. But the first song was by a band called Titus Andronicus. I think they're a punk band from out of New Jersey, Tumult Around the World. There's one lyric uh, about people giving birth, and they gender the people giving birth. And yeah, I'm going to call them out in the language, because I get the point, and also... However, the overall theme of the show... I mean, if one, I think if one was to... If I were to, I should say, take apart every song that I wanted to play... Uh, I would probably find, I I would honestly take issue with many songs. So I will, overall, I, obviously I enjoy the song. Okay. I'm a little bit rusty here. It's been, it's been some time since I was here last. So yeah, and the last one, Silver Sun Pickups. And the title of the song, um, well, I'm not sure where that tab is. And perhaps we'll get to that. I'm going to close the tab for the San Francisco Chronicle. And the building is a pretty fancy building. I've been in for a few times for rehearsals in that space. And the, the Chronicle has a history of being on the wrong side of history uh, recently and in the past, too. So, again, not a surprise that they are uh, sharing some nonsense. I think first of all, as I get myself ready, I do want to, I'll just go into some action items. And th these are some postcards, action cards I've been wanting to read for a couple months now. I got them at the Oakland Museum. There was a, I think it might still be on, there's a queer California exhibit at the Oakland Museum. I highly recommend folks check it out. Also, if you have an EBT card, I believe it's like $3 or a dollar to enter. It's uh, very accessible. It's a great exhibit, so check it out if you can. And in the another part of the... Um, museum um i picked up some cards from another exhibition and it's just also just ways to to take action and show up so the hashtag is take action omca oakland museum of california so i'll read a few of these uh one is circulate your dollar in the black community visit marcus books a bay area staple since 1960 which is at 3900 martin luther king jr way consider supporting other black owned businesses in the bay area and they have a list and that is at B-A-O-B-O-B-Directory.com. Again, that's B-A-O-B-O-B-Directory.com. So you can take a look at that list there. Um, another, so the postcards, are, you could just take as many as you needed, as you'd like. And 
So the front side had these messages on them, and then the back had action items. So the next one, collectively invest in community. Learn more about East Bay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative, which buys and preserves local real estate to keep tenants of color in the community. Join them today, and that website address is ebprec.org. Again, ebprec.org. Next up, provide affordable housing. If you have property, rent a room or apartment to an unhoused person or person with a Section 8 voucher. That's another thing that folks can do. Next up, I should, all right, be more than a consumer. Reuse and repurpose items. Repair possessions when they break. Borrow tools from the Tool Lending Library in Berkeley, which is at 1901 Russell Street. Host a clothing swap. Be creative. Next up, ooh, grow food. Plant an edible garden. Share the harvest with your neighbors. Donate what you cannot use. In Oakland, volunteer with Planting Justice, Fat Beats, Actinon Verba, City Slickers, or the gardens at Lake Merritt. Next up, push back on capitalism. There is power in working together. Read Collective Courage by Jessica Gordon Nembard. Support these worker-owned Bay Area collective organizations, and they have a list at nobawc.org. Again, nobawc.org. Next up, national change starts locally. Your vote matters. Locally elected district attorneys have a lot of power in prosecuting, sentencing, and investigating crimes. Get to know your county's district attorney and their stance on criminal justice reform. And that, I've got a few more cards. However, this is a great segue that is going to take me to a story I wanted to read a little bit earlier, and I'm going to pull up the tab any moment now. And this is comes out of Queens, and again, positive news story. And that's uh, Tiffany Caban makes history in Queens, claims shocking Queens district attorney primary win. There's an article in the Daily Beast, and I'd imagine several other news outlets. Uh, with primary win, the 31-year-old leftist public defender would be poised to take charge of one of the largest jurisdictions in the country. This is written by Gideon Resnick, and it came out on June 25th and was updated on June 26th. And again, you can find this at thedailybeast.com. Another earth-shaking political upset roared through Queens, New York on Tuesday night when Tiffany Caban claimed victory in a six-person primary race for Queens District, District Attorney, the first competitive race there in a generation. Her leading opponent, uh, excuse me, uh, Queensboro President Melinda Katz trailed by just over 1,000 votes with 3,400 paper ballots outstanding, and the Associated Press had the race as too close to call Wednesday. But in even matching the support of the once formidable Queen's machine nearly a year to the day after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez shocked the national political scene with her primary upset win against powerful House Democrat Joe Crowley, Gabon's performance in a borough-wide race marked a new high-water mark for the rising left. With high-profile endorsements from Representative Ocasio-Cortez, and then Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, Caban, a 31-year-old Latina public defender who identifies as queer, would be poised with a primary win to become the top law enforcement official in a county of 2.4 million people. 
her platform of people power justice, including ending cash bail, not prosecuting subway turnstile jumping, prosecuting the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, closing Rikers Island, and decriminalizing sex work marks a massive departure from the traditional tough on crime prosecution, prosec- excuse me, prosecutorial approach of DAs around the country, including longtime Queens DA Richard Brown. At her election night event at the Laboom nightclub, nestled next to a Volkswagen dealership, a diverse crowd of supporters erupted into a frenzy every time local news station New York One updated the numbers in the extremely close race. They chanted, people power, Tiffany, 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 and Black Lives Matter as the packed room shifted between nerves and excitement. When the DJ announced that the bar was closing at 10 p.m., people milled around excuse me, people milled about under throbbing halos of green and red lights. When we started this thing, they said I was too young. They said I didn't look like a district attorney, Caban said, stepping to the microphone a little after 11 as she continued to lead with 99% of precincts reporting. They said we would not, they said we could not win, but we did it, (sighs) y'all. In an indicator of how significant the primary race is in the heavily Democratic borough, Caban declared, tonight we won the Queen's District Attorney's Office. Among the candidates the political neophyte faced were Gregory Lasek, a former judge who threw support from law enforcement un- who drew, excuse me, who drew support from law enforcement unions and Katz, who had a strong institutional and union support from the borough's democratic machine, including Crowley. Katz also was backed by Representative Gregory Meeks, who took over for Crowley as the chair of the Queen's Democratic Party. After being endorsed by the Working Families Party and the Democratic Socialists of America, Caban gained more national headlines as senators and 2020 presidential hopefuls Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren threw their support behind her, as did the New York Times. The endorsements from the presidential candidates appeared to rub Meeks the wrong way, who tweeted, If either of them wants to be president, I suggest they speak with us before they decide to speak for us. Okay. But they and the Times ultimately did pick the candidate voters wanted. Ms. Caban identifies as a queer Latina, the Times wrote in its endorsement. She is of Puerto Rican descent and is the first in her family to graduate from college. She would bring a perspective suited to one of the world's most diverse communities, one where elected officials have rarely reflected that reality. The eventual Democratic victor in Queens is set to face off against Republican Daniel Kogan in general election in November as a wave of more progressive prosecutors have been elected throughout the country, including Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, who was at Caban's event Tuesday night, St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell, and Suffolk County District Attorney Rachel Rollins. The second major upset in Queens in the past year represents a broader leftward lurch in the city with more organizing and resources devoted to down-ballot races and progressive causes. Last September, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo dispatched a high-profile challenge from Cynthia Nixon, but a host of state senators in the Independent Democratic Conference, or IDC, lost to primary challengers, which resulted in the passage of a progressive agenda that had long been stymied in Albany. Progressives also helped lead a major backlash to the planned construction of an Amazon campus in Long Island City. Caban, who had talked about decriminalizing sex work and also talked about arresting ICE agents in courtrooms, envisions an office that will not evaluate performance based on convictions, but rather reduced incarceration and recidivism and increased community engagement, and that will provide updated information about sentencing policies, arrest rates, and charging decisions. All right. So again, if you want to check out that article, 
It is at the Daily Beast, and it's written by Gideon Resnick, and it came out on June 25th. Cool. Congratulations. And with that, I think uh, I definitely have more to get to. And, oh, okay. Maybe we'll play a little bit of music, and then I will find out what to get to next. So please do stay tuned.
welcome back to the weekly review. That was Better Oblivion Community Center, with a song called Forest Lawn. Not what I was intending to play, and it was a happy accident. So glad to share some music with you all. Coming up next, I'm going to play some audio clips, and <laughs> that's what we do here. That's what I do here a lot of the time. Uh, there's a lot of info to share, so I wanted to... Today is Trans March, and it's Pride Weekend here in San Francisco this weekend, and a lot of people have a lot of feelings about that, and also really crucial just to recognize the folks who got us to where we are today, and to pay tribute to these to elders, and to also remember what folks have gone through, and the real reason for that Pride exists. So I'm going to start off with an interview that was on uh, KTVU uh, with Donna Persana, and this came out on June 26th, and a big thank you to Mason for sharing this. So I wanted to play this, and we'll hear a little bit about Donna's life in the Bay Area, and we'll be back uh, after this. Monumental figure in San Francisco's transgender history will serve as the Lifetime Achievement Grand Marshal at the San Francisco Pride Parade this year. Donna Persona has served, as the, has served the community as an artist and activist for transgender rights for decades. And this morning, we're happy to welcome Donna Persona to the Nine. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. It's so good to see you. The theme for Pride 2019 is Generations of Resistance. What does that mean to you? Well, it means that we're going to uh, put a focus on uh, what has uh, passed in, in our community and uh, what achievements we've made, uh, maybe from the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and to today. We're reflecting on those things and uh, regenerating, uh, I hope, inspiration to, to uh, keep safeguard those rights and social justices. Some mm -hmm. people are concerned that the youth of today might either forget or not even know what many consider the very dark, difficult times pioneers such as yourself lived through and moved through. Can you take us back decades ago when you were growing up in the South Bay, driving up to the city? Tell me about those days. Okay, well, uh, in the late, in, in the early 60s, uh, I, I used to come here to San Francisco, and back then, uh, there was nothing that was organized in, in our community at all. Everything was covert, everything was secret, uh, and, and there was no, no references, uh, no, nowhere to go to find out, uh, find uh, like-minded human beings, or our community. So uh, I, I would come to San Francisco and um, think things were secret. I had to find out like where to go uh, and, and uh, find people like me. And so, uh, and it was very frightening because everything was uh, criminal. Any, anything about uh, homosexuality, uh, being gay, w was uh, completely criminal. And so, so when it, it was, uh, there was no allies. And so when you mm -hmm. see, like you will this weekend, tens of thousands of people celebrating, honoring, really even just marking LGBTQ lifestyles, what does that mean to you? To me, it means that we have a, a, an opportunity to uh, reignite our inspiration uh, for, for uh, re continued resistance, because at this time, I believe there are uh, forces, uh, the, the uh, 
current administration is uh, pushing back on, on, I think, everything that we've achieved. So it means to me an opportunity to inspire young people, especially or everyone that's a part of the community and all our allies to uh, get back to the, the, the role of uh, safeguarding our, our uh, rights. Yeah, it, it, that's what it means to me, more, more than a celebration. Back uh, for a while uh, in, in the years, in the 80s, I think in the 90s, it, it, the uh, focus was on celebrating, celebrating, and it was kind of a party. Well, I don't see it that way now. Uh, I see it as uh, celebrating what we have achieved, but trying to uh, keep it, keep it, and, and not have it taken away from us little by little, one little thing at a time. And, and I want young people to realize that what they are enjoying now uh, comes at a cost, the, the cost of, of uh, those in the past. Uh, and uh, so I, I say it this way, uh, young people today uh, and are standing on the shoulders of those who came before. And, and those that came before saw a lot of uh, horrendous things, treatment to themselves, uh, uh, police brutality, uh, lack of uh, organizations to help them. There, there was nothing for them. Uh, they couldn't go to uh, hospitals. Uh, they, they couldn't rely on police for protection. They, they, didn't, they lacked housing and employment. And, and uh, they, they lacked treatment for uh, their transitions. These were people, I, I knew these women from Compton's Cafeteria Riot uh, that, that uh, had decided to attempt an authentic life. They wanted to uh, have their outside match their inside. But at that time, it, it, uh, it was uh, defiant. And, and, and so uh, they had to find these uh, organizations that, that, that could help them with their transition. And so I like to say this, they, they laid down the foundation for what uh, the transgender community today uh, are, are enjoying. You know, I know. They, they established the needs, mm -hmm. the and needs of transgender people. And many people don't know that the riot at Compton's Cafeteria came three years before Stonewall, which many people mark as the beginning of the LGBTQ movement, but no, it was three years earlier and here in San Francisco. Donna Persona, I, I could talk and listen with you for hours, but we'll have to let you go. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yes. Thank you for having me today. Of course. And Thank happy Pride. And happy Pride to you. All right, so that was a, an interview with Donna Persona that was on KTVU, and you can find that on YouTube. It was posted a few days ago. Coming up next, I'm going to play uh, an interview with Miss Major Griffin Gracie. I've talked a bit on the show about the excellent documentary called Major that everyone should check out. I've played music from the soundtrack. And now on YouTube, there is an interview with Miss Major that folks can check out. And it's um, published by Q on CBC. It's an interview um, with the director of Major, Annalise Ophelian, as well as Miss Major. And uh, Shad is the interviewer. And so you can find this. So Q is a, I just have come across this. Q is a magazine show um, that's uh, from Canada. And they have a whole list of their their videos here. So again, if you go Q and then on CBC, you can find this interview 
on YouTube. It's about a 16-minute interview, so I will play this, and then we'll be back afterwards. So please do stay tuned. Ms. Major Griffin Gracie and Director Annalise Ophelian join me live in Studio Q. Welcome to the studio. Thank Thanks you so much. So much. Uh, Annalise, I'll start uh, with you. What was the impetus uh, for making this doc about Miss Major? Well, particularly for those of us in the San Francisco Bay Area, Miss Major is an icon. If you're in queer and trans community in the Bay, you've gotten to see her work firsthand, and we're all very much in awe of her and aware of the way that she paved the road for the rest of us. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Miss Major in 2008 when she gave me an interview for my first feature, and we had the opportunity to just build a relationship after that, and there was a moment where she said, look, people have been saying I need a film about my life, and I would like to work on it with you, so I was really honored that she asked me to to step in. Okay, uh, Miss Major, it's okay if I call you Miss Major? Oh, yes, of course it is. Okay. Um, you've had quite a life so far. It's hard to know where to start, but I want to start in Chicago, where mm -hmm. you grew up. Uh, what was like uh, life like for you as a teenager, going to drag balls and, and trying to be who you were as a teenager in Chicago? Well, it was, that part of it, going to the balls and hanging out with friends was comfortable. Uh, however, being in high school and having to run from boys or be chased home or not get a chance to go out individually by myself because of how I presented was kind of difficult. Mm -hmm. But Chicago was a good place to be, a lot of jazz clubs, a lot of interesting people and things going on. So it was fun. Uh, a, a time that you remember well uh, in this film is New York. Uh, oh, you, move, yeah. you moved there in 1962 after being expelled from two colleges for, mm -hmm. for wearing dresses. When did you become uh, politicized as a trans activist? At what point was that? Um, I always cared about the girls earlier uh, due to the fact that we were getting murdered so much and nobody seemed to care. I lost a lot of good friends. But I think I became aware and awake uh, when I was in Attica and Dana Moore when I met James Black. Okay, well, I want to I want to visit that time a, a little bit later, but first, mm -hmm. uh, let's stay in New York uh, for a moment. Sure. Uh, so June twenty seventh, nineteen sixty nine, mm -hmm. you were at the Stonewall Inn. Yes. Uh, the day the famous rebellion occurred, can you set the scene uh, for us? What happened that evening, and and who was there? Um, well, there were a lot of people there because somebody's birthday was happening, and we always partied there uh, after work. And uh, it was primarily just a thing that happened simply because the police had been doing what they do regularly all across the United States, coming to the bars, knocking on the door jam with their nightsticks, and you stepping away from somebody you're with, slowly walking out of the bar so they could see what minors were there or who didn't belong there in the club and stuff, and then send you home and close the bar down for that night. That was the routine. That's the regular routine. And it was just this night, it didn't seem like that is what was going to happen. They knocked on the jam, the lights came on, and no one budged. It was just in the air. It was just air. a feeling in the air that... Just, it was just there. No planning, no one mapped it out or written out thing. You know, they were, oh, we're going to have this fight. You know, nothing like that happened. Because that was so. a day everyone was feeling the same feeling of Everybody. no more... No yeah. more harassment, yeah. no more brutality. It just stopped. It wow. just all came to a head and stopped. What are your strongest memories of that particular night? I think my strongest memories was when we were outside the bar and we were fighting the police, we were kicking their behinds and uh, hearing the people across the street cheering. The girls are kicking ass, you know. So it became a very interesting thing at the time. Mm. And I think... The one conscious thought I remember having was being told by friends in Chicago that if you're ever in a confrontation with a cop, piss him off and get him to knock you out so they don't break your bones and continue to beat you up. 
So that's this what was I advice did. that was just passing around oh, in Chicago. We, yeah, well, you have to teach others, you know, what to do to protect themselves in those kind of situations because they were so regular. It wasn't a random thing. It was something that happened on a regular basis, and you could wind up in that position at any time. Trans women are often left out of the narrative of Stonewall. Sure. Why do you think that is? Uh, because white people think they own the world. It's really simple. They feel that, well, if we were there even across the street cheering you on, we're the reason that you were there because we allowed you to be there. So, of course, they feel as if they have dominion over everything. Uh, just pick up a history book. After you get through all the lies, how many pages are left? Two? So, do you feel yeah. like that history has cleared up over time at much, or do you feel like the, the, the story, the legacy um, remains the same and remains inaccurate? It hasn't changed much. What it's done is it's uh, covered itself up and camouflaged itself so that people will look past it onto something else and denigrate and demonize where they're looking instead of the at the cause. Uh, Annalise, uh, Miss Major has been a strong activist for trans women of color in prison. Um, mm. Can you give us a sense of why they are so uh, disproportionately represented? in the prison system, because your film goes into this. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I think, particularly in the United States, the prison industrial complex is like a textbook lesson in intersectionality. And trans women of color live at the center of so many intersections of oppression, so trans misogyny and white supremacy, and the way that the war on drugs has, you know, overwhelmingly demonized and caused the incarceration of huge swaths of American society. Um, you really see that show up. Um, the way that trans women of color are more visible in community and then more vulnerable to police harassment um, and to police attention. Um, and, you know, Angela Davis is uh, in the film, at the beginning of the film, she talks about the way that trans women of color have so much to teach us about the prison industrial complex because some of the worst abuses, some of the most egregious over-criminalization happens within this group. And so if we really want to see what's wrong with prisons in the United States, we can see all of it sort of in the experience that trans women of color have to survive there. So trans women of color aren't just overrepresented in prison. They also face greater discrimination and violence once they are on the inside. Absolutely. Um, let's get back to this experience that you mentioned uh, where you became politicized. Sure. Um, tell us about that. You were you were in jail. You spent some time in jail in Sing, in Sing Sing, uh, mm -hmm. in Attica in 1971 mm -hmm. after riots broke out and inmates uh, demanded better living conditions. And Dannemora. And Denimore as well, as well. Uh, how did how did all those experiences uh, politicize you inform your activist work? Uh, it affected me when I was in Denimore in the hole and I met the men who had started the Attica riot and in talking and meeting with them there um, got to listen to the abuses that the police are putting them through and you're there 20 three hours out of the day. So we wound up talking to one another. They were very open. They didn't treat me any different, knowing that I was, uh, at the time, transgender wasn't a very popular word, so that I was this sissy down the cell block from them. So we talked, and in talking to them, he made me aware of the fact that what I was doing was important, but I needed to know the reasons why it had gotten this bad and what I could do to really help my community versus giving them a Band-Aid over a cut. So, so. he educating you on, on the, the deeper political issues, yes, sociological 
issues. Yes, why they were, what was going on with them, and the things to do to throw a monkey wrench into the apple cart, to upset it, to shake it up, to get it to change, because that's what all of us wanted to do at the time. Everybody was trying to do something, you know. Women wanted to have equal pay. Uh, blacks wanted to get their rights as human beings. My community wanted to be respected for who we were. Everybody was looking for their piece of this supposedly American pie, mm -hmm. you know, hoping that it would be an equal share, and it's not an equal share. How did it feel to receive that knowledge? I mean, you'd been through so much at that point. As you mm -hmm. said, you'd seen friends die. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd been in prison. How did it feel to receive that knowledge about, hey, here, here might be a way to unravel this thing and actually make progress, not just Band-Aid solutions. How did it feel to receive those kind of light it bulbs? Was, it was hopeful. It was a thing of, well, maybe some little things can get it to change. Because when you're fighting like that and you're at the grassroots level, you don't see what's above you. You don't know what can happen from what you're doing where you are. And so and going through that, just in speaking about it and having somebody else verbalize what we were feeling inside my girls and I, uh, was simply amazing because it was like, okay, if we do this, maybe we can get somebody, one person, to go, well, wait a minute, they're not that bad, mm -hmm. you know, and they're not an abomination. And with what they've gone through, they have plenty of courage, you know. Uh, Annalise, your, your film reveals how Miss Major is much more than an activist. Uh, she's a community leader, uh, a mother mm -hmm. to so many. Um, describe for us what is Miss Major to her community? Um, well, I think, if you I mean, can try and put it into, into words, I mean... I can give you my observation. I think I'd, I'd want her community to, to, to speak for themselves, but certainly my observation of it is that Ms. Major's activism um, is this particular activism of individual caretaking, um, and it's, in this day and age especially, really rare, this uh, prioritizing people over policy. And it's survival-based, right, that for the whole of her life, the thing that we got to witness, the story we heard over and over, were the ways that Major would sort of reach back and help a girl along and help them not only, like, kind of get up to, you know, on their, on their feet, but then move forward and really thrive in the world. And so all of these women who gave us interviews for this film talked about the ways that Major would bring them food if they were hungry, get them a hotel room if they didn't have a place to stay, um, you know, teach them how to paint, like, show them the ways to just sort of be in their bodies and in their strength in the world. And then in turn, each of those women have gone on and done that for other folks. So I think about someone like Janetta Johnson, mm -hmm. who's um, one of Miss Major's daughters and has stepped into the executive director position at TGIJP. And she's now doing this work for the girls around her. So it's this exponential activism. It's amazing. Story after story in this film of individual care, uh, people saying that you say Miss Major uh, basically saved their life. What was it like watching this film story after story? Every time I see it, I cry because it brings back so many good memories and horrible memories and things that I thought I was over that I'm not over. And it makes me feel alive and recharges my battery to keep going because I'm still here and this stuff still has to change. And I need to keep doing what I'm doing because there's other girls out there, young girls who need to know that they come from a history, that this didn't start with Janet Mock and Laverne Cox. This has been years in the making, that we're in the Bible, you know, and that we've been here since time began. You know. What do you love most about your community? Our resilience, you know, that, you know, okay, you knock me down, 
be, and I'm going to get up and stop this from happening to me a second time, you know. And that with all that we've gone through, we're still there. We're still going to rise. We're still going to get up, dust ourselves off, change our outfit, and go out there again and again and again. What issues are you most passionate about right now? Right now, I think the thing that's important to me is to get people to back up off us as a community and stop trying to create laws that will chase us back into the closet or act as if we don't exist or we're not here. Um, it's a matter of making sure that, you know, when most of us came out of the closet as transgender women, we burnt the house down. So there's no ho closet to go back to, and they're going to have to deal with that. How far uh, do you think we've come at this point uh, when it comes to trans rights? There's been some really interesting differences from when I was growing up, you know, um, but there's still bullying. There's still hate. You know, I think the visibility that we have with the girls who are in the media and more popular um, affects the girls who are on the ground still having to hook to survive or sell drugs or prostitute. And that they're dying because of the popularity that everybody else is receiving. Because people can't get to them, but they can get to some girl that's out there trying to make it who's on the street with them. You know, so I would want them to realize that, you know, you have to stop making these folks pay for what somebody else is doing and wake up and realize that we're all human beings. And Elise, same question to you. How far do you think we've come in terms of in terms of trans rights? You know, I think when we were making the film, marriage equality was the sort of most significant um, LGBT mm -hmm. issue. And it was interesting. We kind of came back over and over to this theme that the things that Ms. Major was fighting for at Stonewall were things like fighting back against uh, police abuse, um, police brutality, and, and criminalization, and that that agenda hasn't changed. And so the the core um, sort of impetus of our movement has always been one for equality and rights and safety for the most vulnerable among us. And th these kind of socially conservative topics like military service and marriage have not been the overriding agenda of our communities. It's the things Ms. Major's been fighting for. And I think those basic safety concerns remain as significant today as they've ever been. What do you think a film like this that offers this, this historical perspective, decades of activism, what do you think that gives to the movement to see the history uh, versus just kind of this moment right now that happens to be getting a lot of attention? Well, it's two things. One thing I really hope folks take away from the film is the sense of Miss Major and her community through history. So I think, folks, it's easy to reduce things to Stonewall, but like I know we feel really passionately about the story of Attica and about these places where um, community survival comes together and pushes the movement forward. So to see, as Miss Major says so frequently, where we didn't just st you know become created, we've been here all along, we've been a part of these movements on the ground level. I also think it happens in LT LGBT communities often that when a person hits like 45 or 50, they become our elder because we have so few elders in our community. And it's so vitally important to have someone like Miss Major who's in her 70s there giving us that powerful role model of I am at this age and I want my girls to be getting to this age along with me. Final question to you, uh, Miss Major. What are your hopes for the future? What's the hope that keeps you going uh, in your activism even now? Well, my hope would be that the younger girls who are just realizing that they're transgendered can do so safely, that their parents respect their choices and help them along and don't push them out. 
uh, that the bullying and the persecution from society and the mainstream and people stop and that people step back and realize, you know, well, they've had to go through a lot to get here and they should be respected for that, you know. It's great to have you both here. Thank, Thank you. you so Thanks much. Thanks so much for having us. All right, so that was an interview with Miss Major Griffin Gracie in Studio Q, and you can find that on YouTube. And this interview was done in, it was published on June 9th, 2016. So I'll play some music from the documentary Major, and then we'll be back uh, in a bit. So please do stay tuned. Shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Let your light shine bright. Don't ever give up the right you chose to be. So why not be free? Do 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 do
The sun it sets, the door it closes, my eyes they shut, numb to the world, my tears they dry, a heart open. The white of light silences golden, golden. Remember, 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 remember your choice. From between two lamps, and you try to hold it in your fingertips. Remember, 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 remember your choice.
sadness caught in between And there was anger And there was glee And there was Sadness Caught in between Remember, remember, remember Remember, 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 remember your choice. Remember, 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 remember your choice. to the weekly review that was the first five songs from the soundtrack uh shine bright songs and sounds from the film major and the first three and the last song were by star amarasu and the fourth one was by star miguel flores really great soundtrack and we'll play the other three tracks uh later on on the show today (sighs) so coming up next and there's a lot to get to of course oh my gosh there's so much okay um, and thanks to Sweet Gail for calling in uh, while we're playing some music. And also, if folks are listening live, and it's Friday the 28th, and you're in the D.C. area, there's an action happening today at 5 p.m. at Freedom Plaza. Demand D.C. decriminalizes sex work. And I received a message from No Justice, No Pride. Uh, join us today for a rally in action on the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots as we call on city leaders for a hearing on sex work decriminalization. As the legacy of those who started Pride, black and brown trans women named Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera are celebrated this year, we must close the gap on safety for our communities. Marsha and Sylvia were sex workers who gave housing to the homeless and fought for abolition, not criminalization. So again, this is the Stonewall 50 Rally in Action to decrim now it's happening today june 28th 5 p.m and it is at freedom plaza which is at 1350 pennsylvania avenue northwest in dc 
They have a hashtag, hashtag DecrimNowDC, hashtag Stonewall50, hashtag DecrimNow to stay updated. Ooh, can't make it. Here are several ways you can support. So one is you can take action, and there's a page. You go to nojusticenopride.org forward slash DecrimNow. Two, if you live in Ward 7, 3, or 2, you can tell your CM to support decriminalization. Three, if you're part of an organization, you can have your organization or group sign on today in support. Four, make a contribution to trans sex workers for their organizing efforts. Five, invite your networks to share and to share the the Facebook event. Research shows that over 80% of street-based sex workers experience violence in the course of their work. Criminal penalties have also made sex workers more vulnerable to violence and police abuse. By removing criminal penalties, this legislation will reduce the vulnerability of sex workers to exploitation and violence, promote public health by improving access to services, and help address human trafficking. Join us as we call on members of the Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety to hold a hearing for our new bill, the Community Safety and Health Amendment Act of 2019. So again, this is from No Justice, No Pride. And in a few of the action items that I mentioned, they have links. So um, I would like to find a way to share this. Also, if you happen to be on Evil Facebook, I know it's... uh, I make a comment every... On every show, I recognize it's super problematic, and also that's how I happen to share information. A lot of us also stay connected and share information. For the time being, that's what we got. I totally welcome and encourage, can't wait for other platforms to emerge. In the meantime, this is what we got. This is what we're working with. Uh, If you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, I share news articles throughout the week. I do try to stay off social media because it's good for my mental health. I've been taking a break from Twitter for over a week. I was doing really well, and then I had a rough day yesterday, even though Twitter wasn't involved with that. So who knows? However, in moderation, I guess. And it is crucial, I feel, to understand what's happening and then also to not be so overwhelmed where it makes it uh, difficult to do much else or think about much else. So I'm going to do my best to... I say this on the show sometimes, and I don't always get to it. So I do want to hold myself accountable to share this information on the Facebook page. And sometimes when I try to do this while I'm talking about it and multitask, I end up stuttering. So I'm going to do this um, as I play the next audio clip. Haha. Got that all sorted out. So this is an audio clip um, from an activist that I have been following on Twitter, who I do hope to have on the show some point in the very near future. And I am looking to... <laughs> pull this link up and this is from portland trans pride in 2019 and of course you know every city has their own history and there's a lot of similarities uh based on the city's histories and uh just the systemic oppression and how that all works out so this is from Alyssa pariah who hosts a great podcast called the struggle that i encourage folks to check out and Alyssa also has a uh, youtube channel and you can also follow Alyssa on twitter And this was uh, published on June 15th, 2019, and it's from the Portland Trans Pride 2019. It's a little over 14 minutes. Um, And I'm going to cue the music for later. And yeah, so this is Alyssa speaking again at Portland Trans Pride 2019, and you can find this and follow Alyssa's page on uh, YouTube as well as Twitter. And yeah. So we'll play this and be back uh, afterwards. And here we go. 
Titi Gali, Leilene Polanco, Portland Police Department, anti-fascism, and why we're all here. So, firstly, I have to affirm everybody that is here for this already. So thank you. 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 Okay. Because it is so hard to get out of bed. It's been hurting me. I have my glasses on because yes, it's summertime, but my eyes are puffy. And I have learned that when you're crying and your eyes start to itch, you shouldn't rub them because you can get an infection in your eye. And that's true. I've been crying for a week. I just came back from New Orleans, Louisiana. Is anybody from New Orleans? New Orleans, I love your city. I went there for the Afro-Socialist Convention. And I was there with a bunch of black leftists. And I was in a session about prison abolition. Like we have to abolish prison. While I was there, I'm scrolling through my phone. I know you shouldn't scroll through your phone in session. It's rude to the speaker. And I shouldn't have done it, but I'm scrolling through my phone and I see that my friend from 10 years ago, her name is Leilene. She just got, well, she just died when she was in solitary confinement and Rikers Island in jail awaiting trial. They found her body. And this I had to read when I was listening to a bunch of brilliant black leftists talk about the prison industrial complex. So I'm dying inside. Finally, I get people to do an action in solidarity and that was wonderful, but then I hear about T.T. Gully from Portland, Oregon, another trans person whose body was found hanging. The family wanted an investigation and the police, the Portland Police Bureau told them no, 24 hour suicide, we're not looking into this. Do you know why they said that they wouldn't look into it? They said they wouldn't look into it because they couldn't, they didn't have the capacity. That's a lie. The Portland Police Department will be the last thing that ever gets cut in this city until this whole shit finally burns down. I promise you, they will always find a way to make sure that the fucking strike breakers, the racist police, the slave catchers, they're always gonna be funded because they don't want us to be free, period. I love you, God. So Titi, it's houseless. She's black, she's trans, she's queer, 
she hangs out with a bunch of punks who fuck shit up. Thank God if you're TT's friend, make some noise. People knew TT. She was in the community. People loved her. The police were betting on the fact that people don't love people like TT. So they said 24-hour suicide, open and close. And that's how business as usual functions. There's levels to this shit. And people like TT are put at the bottom and it has to stop. This is happening in Portland, Oregon. In beautiful, progressive Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon is a, is a major city in a state that originally advertised itself as a white haven. You could come here if you were a failed plantation owner in the South and you hated black people and you hated indigenous people because the people who founded this place, surprise, surprise, were right there with you. They also hate indigenous people. They also hate black people. And they came up with exclusion laws after they managed to terrorize indigenous people who didn't seize their land and who deserve the ground that we're standing on right now. It was illegal. They put the law on the books. They went to the state senate and the state house and the governor and they got it passed. And they said, no black people can ever be here. And everybody took the vote. They were tallied and then they said, sure, that's the law of the land. If we see black people and if the police want to beat their ass, we're just going to let them. And a lot hasn't really changed, has it? No, no, because yes, there may be more radicals in this town, and thank God for every one of you. If you hate capitalism, please scream. Thank God we have more anti-capitalists that are vocal in a way that is outsized by our size. That's wonderful. That's not reflected whatsoever in the police or in the people who they protect. They are as reactionary as anybody you ever want to compare yourself to, to somewhere that you think is less progressive. I was just in Louisiana. The people in Louisiana are ready for socialism, actually, okay? But, but they come from a place where there are more black people than there are here. And black people have been gerrymandered out of their rights and out of their capacity to be able to fight and have been imprisoned in an, in an incredible prison called Angola where they still make the people pick cotton because they're sick in the head and they want to reenact the antebellum self. But the thing is, is that their counterparts would probably like to do the exact same thing here, but because there are more people like you, they're not quite able to get away with it. So I thank you all for being here again. Finally, the people that can hear my voice but are not looking at me, that are not already part of this rally, perk up. Because this is exactly where you need to be. My friend Linnaeus just told me before I came up here and talked to all of y'all that he just saw two people, whatever, identity politics warning, cover your ears if you're like, a person that hates to talk about anything related not to you, but there were two cis white men, okay? <laughs> they were gay and they're looking for a party. They took a look at what we had going on here. They said, ew, and they walked away. 
okay? So yes, boo to them, whoever you are, whatever, good luck to you. But here's what, that's the truth. The reason that we're here and we have to have this is because tomorrow, when the cis white gays who managed to seize power on pride have their event, it's gonna be at the detriment of a lot of the people who we're censoring here today, okay? That's why we have to do this. I'm looking at my friend Lyle, who is one of the hardest workers I've ever met, period, and helped to make this happen, so give it up. So we have to do this. It's a labor of love, but you know what? If pride was better, we wouldn't have to do it and we'd be able to just enjoy the party. But instead, we have to work because we have to, you know, overthrow the system. And the people who come to trans pride, they tend to be a little bit more on our side, don't they? If you look around you, there are no cops guarding you. Thank God. One of the reasons that we will have to really decide who is with us and who is not is gonna be on this exact issue of the police because there are people who are not here. There might even be people who are here and I'm not gonna shame you for this, but I'm just gonna let you know that the police are not here to protect you. I'll say it again. The police are not here to protect you, unless you own that building. Okay. Is the building owner here? No. The building owner probably has us under surveillance, and if we act out, it'll be used against us in a court of law. Make sure that if you do something, you have a mask on. Okay, so that's who the police are, are protecting, not us. And this is an issue that will continue to be at the core of the split. And if the split has to happen, let's get as many people with us as we can. We don't want cops here. We know what they do. We know who and what they're protecting. And we're not having any of it. We know that the reason that they are in pride now is because corporations are in pride. And they need to have their assets and their investments protected from you. Okay, so they need the police. The police are there for them and not for us. That sounds like a nice little chant. The police are there for them and not for us. The police are there for them and the police are there for them and great. So next year, I hope that there can be some better coordination and that people who have the seats on boards that are the decision makers of the main pride. I hope they can find it in their hearts to listen to the outcry of the anti-racists, of the people who are fighting transphobia, of the people who know that houseless people are not the enemy of Portland and don't deserve to be kept out by bulldozers. The people who know that Palestine is being occupied by Israel. People who know
know that capitalist reforms will always be taken away as soon as you start to actually enjoy them. The people who know that anti-fascists are not as bad as the fascists. This is gonna be my last thing and then I'll go because I can't believe that I have to say this. So I'm gonna prime you all because you all know that anti-fascists are the good guys, right? Everybody knows that? Okay, do they have some brochures and manarchists who need to work on their patriarchy? Absolutely. But they're here, so thanks a lot. So there are people who think that the way to get out of this creeping fascist nightmare is to find a healthy middle ground and everybody will be able to get along. They already thought of that. That middle ground is called Congress and the fascists are taking it over. What the fuck? So that means that we have to be safe as a community. That means we have to be sure that we come up with solutions that will never require the state to help us because they're not there to help us. So I was asked to come here to speak for Care Not Cop. It's an ongoing group that is putting together people from all parts of the left, all people who are abolitionists, people who know that police and prisons are not possibly, can never possibly be the answer to our problems. The answer to our problems is with us by talking to each other, by being with each other, by affirming one another, by saying you're worthy of life, no matter how you identify. The mantle of trans liberation and the fight for trans rights has not quite yet been sucked up by the liberal establishment. We still have a fighting chance, but in order for that to happen, we have to be sure that we're in the right places at the right times, like right here today. So thank y'all. I'm Alyssa Pariah. Good luck.
and welcome back to the weekly review. We're going to be wrapping up the show here. Lots of info to get to, uh, and there's what? Oh, okay, I'm just going to go into it instead of announcing what I'm going to do. One article here from Common Dreams that came out on June 25th, written by Ian Higgins. This is what solidarity looks like, says Ocasio-Cortez, as Wayfair workers vow walkout to protest company for working with child detention centers. We believe that the current actions of the United States and their contractors at the southern border do not represent an ethical partnership Wayfair should choose to be a part of. Employees of a home goods online store, Wayfair, plan to walk out of work Wednesday, which was already happened this past week, uh, in a rebuke to the company's cooperation with 45's anti-migrant policies. The action, which took place at the company's Boston Back Bay offices, uh, was scheduled for, it happened 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday. Wayfair employees found out last week that the company was providing bedroom furniture to government contractor BCFS for its new facility in Carrizo Springs, Texas. Common Dreams reported on the facility's construction on June 20th, citing WFAA reporter Jason Whitley, who said on Twitter that the camp would house more than 1,000 captured children. Jesus, fuck. (sighs) Once the employees discovered their complicity in the border detention of children, 547 of them wrote a letter to the company's executives on June 21st, demanding that the company cease cooperating with the federal government. We believe that the current actions of the United States and their contractors at the southern border do not represent an ethical partnership Wayfair should choose to be a part of, the employees wrote. And they include an image of the letter that the employees sent. Wayfair CEO Naraj Shah said his leadership team in a letter to employees Monday night rejected the request. I'm like, oh, fuck. Ugh. Um, I'm not going to read what just the... Ugh, fucking gross. Okay. The company confirmed the authenticity of the letter to the Boston Globe, but did not comment further. Attempts by Common Dreams to reach Wayfair were unsuccessful. As activist Alexis Goldstein pointed out on Twitter, Wayfair is actually providing materials to a government that is breaking the law. And so I guess Wayfair, they were saying they're... They said that they... Wayfair was defending their actions by saying that they will sell to any customer who is acting within the law. However, uh, CBP regularly breaks the law at the border. Um, so moving along with the article, support for the workers was growing online as the news spread. Uh, Races, which is R-A-I-C-E-S, a great organization that folks can support and donate to. The Texas-based immigration legal advocacy group praised the retailer's workers for taking a stand. And I've also heard that uh, folks in Maine also uh, supported that as well. I don't know if they necessarily went on strike or walked out as well, but I do uh, recall reading about that. We applaud Wayfair workers who are walking out to protest Wayfair profiting from detention centers. Races tweeted, no one who works for a company profiting from these camps should be standing idly by as children are dying. It takes a village. Journalist Sana Salim pointed out that Wayfair's justification for its cooperation with BCFS was flawed. Businesses have the right to refuse service, said Salim. They've had that right. They just don't want to use it. A boycott movement seems to be growing as well, with Democratic activist Lucy Flores as one of the people on Twitter announcing she wouldn't be buying from the retailer. Was just looking at another Wayfair item the other day, said Flores. Won't be going through with that purchase. Representative Alexandria or Ocasio-Cortez also expressed support for the Wayfair, workout, Wayfair walkout. 
This is what solidarity looks like, said Ocasio-Cortez, a reminder that everyday people have real power as long as we're brave enough to use it. So again, you can find this article at uh, commondreams.org. And there are several items that I posted. I'm not going to have a chance to read all of them. Um, And just a lot of ways that folks can show up. The first thing, the first tab on my browser um, is uh, an article, Direct Action Will Work Against ICE. And this was posted in, let me move this a little bit closer here. It's uh, anarestproject.org, and that's A-N-A-R-R-E-S project.org. And it was published on June 24th, 2019, and it was written by uh, Tika Lark. And I'll just read the first couple of paragraphs, and if you're interested in reading more, um, you can. Yeah, and I'll also look to, sh- to see if I can share that also on the f- uh, Weekly Review Facebook page as well. Direct action is a tool that should only be used when it needs to be used. Protesting with a permit is not direct action. Anytime you appeal to authority in a way that puts them in a position of reasonable, you're not doing direct action. What is direct action? When you resist with your body or with your wallet. The Montgomery bus boycott is an example of direct action. The most effective direct actions understand that the system is corrupt and unreasonable, not parts of the system, the entire system, and people resist accordingly. For example, you can't call the police on ICE. And the author goes into detail about direct actions they have uh, taken part in in their life. So I do encourage folks to check this out. And I will look to share this. I'm actually going to do it right now. So again, if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev in just a few moments, as soon as I bring it up here, uh, you'll be able to read the article in full and hopefully it'll, um, it just, it's great to have more information. And again, there's lots of ways that folks can contribute. And I spoke too soon. It's going to take me a while to get this up and going. And I want to make use of the time that I've got here. So I will leave this tab open and post it after the show. Next up. Okay, let me... um, There's another article that's up. Uh, Dear fellow white people, some practical ways to subvert ICE as we get ready for this weekend's crackdown. And this was like the past weekend um, that 45 had supposedly called off. Um, although a lot of folks were just being becoming aware of it and wondering how they could they could show up, this was published on June twenty first and was written by Nishama Mooring, and you can find it at medium.com. Um, uh, dear fellow white folks, especially those of us who are citizens and not Latinx, let's slowly and quietly sabotage ICE because we need to and we can. If you're on social media or listening to the news, you've been hearing about the great orange fuck stains promise of increased ICE raids, sweeps, and deportations starting this weekend, which was past weekend. Of course, the U.S.'s commitment to genocide and crimes against humanity is nothing new, but hearing plans to escalate an already brutal force like ICE is particularly terrifying. And so we want to help, which is great. But now more than ever, we need to be strategic, strategic and practical, and we need to be good accomplices. This is an article about how, with a practical list of actions you can take in solidarity and in order to subvert ICE. And uh, the author has two main points. The first is that undocumented folks and communities have been organizing their asses off since this country's illegal founding. 
and have this resistance thing down. We need to connect to existing networks, serve existing projects, and defer to the brilliant, strategic, and vulnerable folks who know what the fuck they're doing. We don't need to reinvent because, among other reasons, it's time-consuming and not practical for the kind of rapid response that's going to be most effective. There's also some important racial justice and anti-racism reasons we shouldn't reinvent. And here are some articles by other people to educate yourself or review. And the first one is uh, The Auntie Network by Hern uh, Scott Hernandez. Um, oh, by Hernandez, Scott Bogado, uh, No White Saviors, a whole bunch more that the author will add. And uh, they're, they're, they provide links to this in the article, which I will also share on, on Facebook as well. Second, there's a whole lot of practical shit we can do to subvert and disrupt ICE, and we can use our whiteness to get away with a lot of it. Or we can at least get away with more than our neighbors of color, and we should and we shoulder much less with much less risk than our undocumented comrades. So let's see increased ICE activity as a call to action, not an inevitability, and let's shut the this the fuck down. On to strategy. Beginning with how to be an accomplice and support what's already in place under the strategic leadership of undocumented people, followed by sabotage strategies. Reproductive justice activist and executive director of the National Network of Abortion Funds, Imani Hernandez, put it best in the context of resisting attacks on our abortion rights, but it applies here too. We're stronger when we trust each other, especially those who have deep experience and knowledge that we can turn in that we can turn to in times like these. Our communities cannot be defeated when we build our movement strategically and cohesively. We urge people to follow the late lead of activists in their communities. We were made for this. We are ready. We need your support. Here are some things you can do to show up and support activists in your own community. These activists may be somewhat low profile or underground for their own safety, but I'm willing to bet my bail money that they're here, that they're there. One, Always defer to undocumented immigrants and people of color and groups run by undocumented immigrants and people of color. Don't try to be a hero. Be an accomplice in that us white folks have access to a lot of tactics that would get our undocumented neighbors and our neighbors of color in a fuckload of trouble. Use that access, but use it in community. Two, ask undocumented folks and community organizations what would best serve them and then do that thing. Kosecha, excuse me if I'm not pronouncing it, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, uh, which is spelled C-O-S-E-C-H-A, a national organization with many local chapters is often a good place to start and can often connect you to organizations in your area, and they also provide another list of resources, including rapid response networks, funds, and other efforts. Raise money, three, raise money for people to pay immigration detention bonds and get bailed out. And they post a link to an article, which they describe as, though liberal as hell, talks about the importance of bailing out immigrant parents in order to reunite families and has a list of bail funds. Ignore the part about only supporting established charities. Established, in quotation marks, is, is too often just coded language for white. And we are interested in justice, not charity. Four, raise money for people to pay immigration lawyers and legal fees. Five, if you are qualified to interpret, volunteer to do that. If you're qualified to provide medical care, volunteer to do that. Whatever skills you have, volunteer for it. Six, solidarity goes a long way. Get to know your community and your neighbors and be there for each other. Intervene and keep each other safe. Make it so we need the state less and the state will have less avenues in our, will have less avenues in to our lives. Seven, 
Don't ever, ever, ever call the cops. They work with ICE. See above regarding solidarity and keeping each other safe so we don't need the state. And seriously, don't ever call the cops. Nine. Please post. I may be jumping numbers here. Uh, there's there bullet points here, and I'm uh, uh, just naming the numbers. Okay, next. Uh, please note that the danger and potential harm of calling the cops for any reason doesn't change if you live in a sanctuary city. Sanctuary cities are nice in theory, but all it means is that there are slightly fewer formal channels for cops and other city officials to share information with ICE. In real life, once we step off of paper, cops cooperate and share information with ICE all the time through informal channels, including in sanctuary cities. Sanctuary city status doesn't stop white supremacists on the force or in city hall from running their mouths with your data. It doesn't shut down any of the less formal information channels or even all the formal channels. Don't be fooled by claims of sanctuary city status. It's an easy way for politicians to court progressive votes without pissing off anti-immigrant assholes, a politically costly stand. There isn't much material difference between sanctuary cities and the rest of our cities. My home and the author's hometown is a sanctuary city on paper, and our public school system shared a long-ass list of undocumented and potentially, and potentially undocumented students and their families with ICE. So really, don't call the cops ever for any reason. 10, nine, 9 or 10. Next point. If people are starting free schools... If people are starting free schools because it's not safe to drop their children off at school, um, at school schools, they say, uh, because of ICE, offer to teach a subject you know well for an afternoon. Next, offer child care and meals. Know your neighbors so you aren't meeting them for the first time on the worst day of their life when ICE comes. Be in relationship before that. Next, offer to do errands for undocumented folks. Go to the store. All the shit that a person needs to be out in public to do. Next, offer to accompany people to in-person stuff they can't miss, like doctor's appointments or ICE check-ins. Next, talk to activists about what skills and resources you have that you can contribute. Do you have a car and can give people rides? Are you a healthcare provider? Can you fundraise? Are you able to bodyguard people likely to be targeted? Hint, ICE targets undocumented activists quite a lot. What do they need and how can you fill these needs? Next, join a rapid response network so you'll get a text when raids are happening and you can go and so you can go and protest, document, etc. Also, uh, next, many communities have ice safety slash know your rights and they provide a link here as well. Workshops. Take one and offer to provide training to others if you are skilled at that or coordinate more workshops. Fundraise to bring the workshops to as many venues as you can. Pay activists for their time. They provided an example of a white person using what they learned in a Know Your Rights training to prevent ICE from arresting two of their community members. Us white folks, even if you're poor, have more access to capital than people of color. Generational wealth, rich friends, people with savings accounts, leverage this to fundraise, or at least share the GoFundMes to support activists, bail funds for getting people out of ICE detention, fundraisers for people targeted by ICE, etc. You may have noticed that this list doesn't include offering to shelter undocumented people, and this is deliberate. Uh, this is the author's friend, Eric Cash, with an explanation. A quick note on tactics. Uh, and Eric says, uh, I'm not an expert, but I do know some stuff. I've seen, both in my feed and in various groups, multiple white folk responding to the upcoming raids with, quote-unquote, I'll take in families or I'll take in people in need. This is a nice sentiment, but there's a few problems there. Immigrants, Latinx 
people, brown, non-white folk being targeted by militarized federal agency operating outside of any accountability probably aren't likely to trust a random white stranger. And if they are, please understand that those people must be feeling incredibly vulnerable. And it is honestly better that you do not know who these people are. Compartmentalizing and decentralizing sensitive information is a very important tactic in resisting a state power. So while uh, the author, or while at this Eric, uh, Eric, excuse me, Eric uh, 100% understands the human need and desire to cry out on social media, I will shelter you, please understand how dangerous that is. You've now outed your home as a potential safe house, and any other person who responds to it naively is outing themselves and anyone they may mention as a potential target. And... The article goes on a lot further, and I see that we're at 153, and I was anticipating ending the show around 150. I wasn't planning on reading so much, but there's so much information there that I wanted to share. And there's also, this is one of the many links of information I wanted to share. There's another link I will do my best to post about um, numbers where folks can call representatives, certain corporations that are investing in these private prisons. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that folks can show up. So there's a lot of information out there. And no matter what situation you're in, um, if you're able to show up in some way, there there will be something, a piece that that we can take with us, if not many more. And also sharing information is a big one. And I found... Uh, found out this information from other folks who shared. So I want to encourage folks to to continue to share this information while we are able to. Okay. So uh, Women's Magazine with Global Val and Common Thread Collective are off this week, but please do stay tuned. There's a lot more here at Mutiny Radio. And again, really grateful that the stream is up. If you would like to donate to the show, and big thank you to all the folks who donate. Some folks donate on a monthly basis. Some folks donate one time. Big, it really means the world uh, to have the dues covered here. Um, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate folks who listen. And this is one way just of getting the word out about what's happening. And uh, it's important to have uh, people's voices heard. So if you have the capital and would like to help support the show, we do have a Patreon up. um, And it's at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. And gladly accepting donations of anywhere from a dollar a month and up, whatever you're able to do is super helpful. If you enjoy the show, uh, please do share it with a friend and we'll have another show coming up next week. Okay. I am going to end on another song from the major soundtrack and yeah, uh, just big thanks to all the folks, the elders, ancestors, transcestors, folks who have lived before that made it have done what they've done. So, um, it's possible to be here today. So lots of gratitude. Hope everyone is, uh, hope everyone has a great day and uh, we'll be back next week. Take care.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a 